Hello, everybody. It's me, Auntie, and thank you for joining me for the continuation of The Jumbies by Tracy Baptiste. Chapter 37, Striking the Match. Drew thought she heard Buki and Malik scream. The sound was tiny and distant, but the night was so quiet that it was possible their cry might have carried for miles. She dropped her bundle of twigs in a pile. Then she worked quickly to clear out a path around it. She had seen her father clear the land around the cane fields every year before he set them on fire at the end of the season. It kept the fire where he could control it. Satisfied with the small circle she made around her twigs, Drew crouched on the ground and tried to strike a match, but every match was damp from the sweat in her hands. As she worked, she heard something moving among the trees. Finally, one of the matches lit, and in the, its tiny flame, she saw a figure coming closer. Then she heard the rattle of chains. Drew whimpered and dropped the match. It lay smoking on the forest floor. She crawled backwards onto a thick bush and cowered. There was nowhere to go, and the space she had cleared meant there was nothing between her and the creature moving toward her but the few twigs she had found. She pressed back as far as she could so before she realized that she was caught in the branches of stinging needle. The branches of the bush hooked her shirt and hair, and the leaves stung as she at her hands. The more she struggled, the more she was caught. Above her, the moon rose and shone on a fly caught in a spider's web between bright red blazer flowers. It also struggled to break free, but neither fly nor girl was successful. Chapter 38. The Cliff. The sounds in the village were now too far, far away to reach Corinne on her boat. She was close to the cliff where the water roared and beat the rocks as its base. The closer she got, the choppier the waves became. Beneath the little yellow boat and the silver-black water currents bashed against hundreds of sharp rocks that jutted up just beneath, beneath the surface of the sea. Corinne stopped rowing and allowed the boat to be pushed by the turbulent surf. She used one oar to push away from any jagged rocks that might split the boat. The closer the boat got to it, the more impossibly large the cliff grew. The light was almost gone, and Corinne began to shiver. It wasn't much farther now. Chapter 39. The Duins Fight even though the brothers couldn't see much of anything, they could hear things closing in on them from all sides. They turned and ran toward the road, toward the sound of people coming to see what had happened to the screaming children. Did you hear them? Where are they? The booming voices of Hugo asked above the crowd that was gathered at the edge of the forest. They're in there, said Victor. They got him, Buki shouted as he got near the road. They made my brother into one of them. Buki and Malik burst through the trees. Malik did the best he could to show off his doing feet and to hold on to the hat on his head. The people came to the road quickly and held up their weapons, ready to attack Malik. Buki hadn't thought of this. 
We've lost enough children to these jumbies, Lawrence, mother shouted. No more, she stomped towards the boys. That one is their last, Victor said as he came up beside her. More people came out of their houses, each one carrying some kind of weapon. A garden rake, a large piece of driftwood, stones the size of fists. They all made their way toward the brothers. Buki stood in front of Malik and screamed, don't hurt my brother. He knocked Malik to the ground to show them that, that Malik's feet were not real, but the adults pressed in closer. Malik threw himself over his brother and covered both their eyes with their hands. But after a few moments, he peeked through his fingers and saw what the adults were really after. A band of doings standing behind them on the edge of the forest with weapons of their own. The brothers scrambled out of the way of the fighting and crawled through the legs to escape. Just as they reached the edge of the crowd, Buki turned back to his brother with a satisfied grin to help him up. But a little jumpy man was right behind Malik. Buki grabbed Malik's arm quickly, but the doing caught Malik's other arm and Buki's leg in a vicious grip. It grabbed the brothers back between the trees. The fighting adults never noticed. In seconds, all that was left of the brothers was one fake coconut husk foot and a small straw hat. Chapter 40. Rough Water Waves crisscrossed and slapped against each other and the sides of Corinne's boat. The choppy water sprayed salty foam high above her. Corinne grew tired from pushing the boat away from the rocks. She couldn't avoid them at all. The boat scraped along sharp edges and cracks appeared everywhere in the wood. The waves grew stronger. The boat was pushed in every direction. Corinne sat on her knees, working the oar to avoid destruction while the sea crashed over her and stung her eyes. She shivered, soaked in the skin, and her arms ached. The base of the cliff was still too far away. Now the boat was heading straight for a large, jagged rock. Corinne moved to the front to try to push away from it, but the boat was moving too fast. She screamed. In the moonlight, Corinne thought she saw the silver flash of a huge fish tail hit the, hit the side of the boat, shoving it out of the way of the rock at the last moment. She wiped salty water from her eyes to see better, but the creature was gone. Was it real or her imagination? She felt her boat being pushed by some unseen force, and soon she came to a still channel that led to the base of the cliff. Thank you, Grand Pierre, she said at, to the waves. Then Corinne looked at the slippery foam-flecked rocks that rose to the sky above her. She longed for a moment to catch her breath, but the moon was already high in the sky. It was time to climb. She she searched the black rock for the foothold of a notch for her hand, but she saw only wet rocks and crevices filled with sharp barnacles and pieces of shell. A great wave broke against her and the little boat. She braced herself with the oar and heard it crack and split in two. Water ran down the rocks, revealing crumbled barnacles in a nook it made just enough space for her hand she grabbed the jagged edge of the fractured oar to scrape away the 
bits of barnacles that remained and reached up. As another wave gathered its strength to crash into the boat, Corinne pulled herself up by one hand. The fingers of of her other hand found a tiny hold, and she curled her toes to grab onto the slippery rock. Just as she left the boat, the wave crashed down, smashed it. The boat's yellow planks were sucked into an eddy. The boat that let her know her papa was always near had disappeared forever. Corinne bit her lip and moved upward. The farther she went, the drier the rocks were and the easier to hold. She made sure she had firm grip in one place before she moved to another. As she neared the top, a smooth, flat rock hovered over her. It jutted over with no place for her hands. The final obstacle to reach the necklace, Corinne had no choice. She was going to have to jump away from the cliff and grab the edge of it with both hands. If she missed, there was only the briny water and sharp rocks to welcome her below. She clutched the cliffside, nearly frozen with cold and fear. The wind whipped through her wet hair and clothes. She squeezed her eyes shut and thought about her father, how his eyes had glassed over, unseen like the murky surface of a swamp. He needed her. She thought about the about Buki and Malik taking on the doings. They needed her. She thought about Drew in her noisy house. She needed her, too. But who did Corinne need? Who did she have to turn to now? Above Corinne, her mama's necklace twisted in the wind, and its stone, shiny surface blinked back moonlight. Corinne could just make out its light. Her mama was there. She was almost close enough to touch. Corinne gathered all her strength, crouched, and jumped. The fingers of one hand caught the top of the rock, but the other slipped and her legs smacked against the cliff. A flood of warmth spread up through her legs, the same leg she'd cut open just a few days ago. She scrambled and found another grip for her left hand. Then she pulled herself up. Her leg felt a long streak of blood shimmering against the face of the rock. She found a place for her foot and pushed herself over the top of the cliff. She lay on the edge for a while as her heart pounded and her thigh bled. The sound of fighting in the village echoed on the rocks. The jumbies were busy. Corinne knew that there wasn't much time to figure out her mama's magic. She pushed herself up to stand and limped over to where the necklace dangled. She untangled it from the dead branch. Savrine had tied it too and turned the smooth stone to her hand. What was it about this stone that had hurt Savrine? And why didn't it hurt? Corinne. She was jumpy, too. In the moonlight, Corinne saw a few nicks and scratches on the face of the small stone, but there was nothing remarkable looking about it. She squinted, hoping to detect something useful, some writing on an image or she had not noticed before that would tell her what she needed to do, but there was nothing. 
As Kuzirin examined the necklace, an old woman stepped out of the forest and onto the cliff. When Corinne looked up, the woman smiled, then shed her skin and burst into yellow flames. Corinne backed up to the cliff's edge. She was trapped. Chapter 41, The Lagaho. Drew tried to stay still in the bush to avoid brushing against the stinging leaves. The lagaho drew itself up to its full height, with chains clinking around its neck and waist. It turned to the full moon and bared its teeth. Drew held her breath. Even the fly in the spider's web stopped struggling. Drew covered her eyes, waiting for the lagaho's teeth to pierce her skin. In the space between her fingers, she glimpsed a small orange glow, fire. The match she dropped had landed on some dry leaves among her twigs. The flame was gathering strength. It caught onto the hairy leg of the lagaho. The smell of burning fur filled the air. The lagaho rushed forward and fell against the bush that had entangled Drew. The force of the crash freed Drew. Only torn bits of her shirt and a few strands of hair were left behind. The fire spread from the lagaho to the branches of the bush well outside of the clearing Drew had created. Her blood ran cold with horror. The lagaho howled and began to tear itself away from the stinging bush. Drew seized a stick and thrust its end into the flame. Despite her fear of causing more damage, it was the alone only weapon she had. She waved the fiery end of the lagaho to keep it away from her. The creature snarled at her. Drew poked and jabbed as she tried to remember which direction led home. The lagaho swiped at Drew and fire lit up its arm. Quickly, its upper body was covered in flames. The lagaho roared and twisted, trying to escape the fire. Drew dropped the stick and began to run. The lagaho grabbed a claw full of Drew's hair and pulled, and Drew landed on her back with a thud. Now the creature was completely covered in flames, and it howled in agony. Drew jumped to her feet and ran. The heat of the fire and the scent of burning fur followed her as she raced, screaming through the forest. Finally, she reached the open air and moved as fast as she could through the field toward her house. The burning smell stayed close. When Drew made it to her village, her family and neighbors stood in the middle of the road. Their horror filled Faces lift by the orange glow of fiery creature. But when Drew looked back, there was nothing behind her. There was just the forest in the distance, consuming in orange flames, and the burning smell too close to be the forest. Cold water poured over Drew, and then her mother's arm held her tight. Drew was the one who had been on the on fire. She reached up to touch her hair, but found only wet ash. Her lovely hair had been burned. 42. Captured. Buki's skin grew moist from the damp air and the fear seeping out of his pores. He looked over at his brother to find that he was slick with sweat too. Another scream pierced the air and bounced off the trunks of the trees around them. The doing that dragged them 
was joined by several others. They called to each other through the trees. Oh, 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 oh. Kick, brother, Buki shouted. Together, the boys kicked as hard as they could, but neither could free themselves from the Bedouin's grip. It was like being trapped in stone. A moment later, the scent of fire came in on the wind, and the Bedouins all stopped to sniff the air. Then the sound of feet running, bellies slithering, and wings get beating rose up like a wave. The Duin let go of the two boys and ran on its clumsy backward feet to the others. The little jumbie completed a circle that surrounded Buki and Malik. Buki scrambled to his feet and pulled Malik up to face the tiny band of spirits. They were small, like babies but their muscles were tough like those of grown men. The Duins closed in. One of them began to whistle a little song, calm and pleasant, despite the commotion around them. Then they all joined in. It was sweet and low and seemed familiar to Buki. He puckered his mouth with an O to join them, but as Buki took a breath to whistle, Malik clapped his hand over Malik, Buki's mouth. Malik shook his head and put one finger to his lips. Buki understood. This was how the Duins trapped children. This was the magic they used to turn children into jumbies like themselves. It had happened to Drew's friend, Alan, and if Malik hadn't figured it out, he would have been next. The Duins whistled louder and moved in. Malik pointed to something that looked like a path. Then he pointed up in the air. Buki nodded again. As soon as the Duins got close enough, the boys leapt over the jumpies, heads and made for the trail. A loud thud made them look back. Hugo's large broken pallet had come down on the head of one of the jumpies. Go, he shouted as the boy at the boys. They both took off running. Behind them, Buki heard Hugo beating the little man back and then a crack like wood breaking. The boys had not gotten very far when Hugo's large arms scooped them up. Buki felt squashed under Hugo's arm, but he didn't complain. Hugo dodged high roots and low branches. Buki was surprised that carrying two boys did not seem to slow Hugo down. Buki looked behind and saw the Duins helping up their fallen brothers, but they were far enough away from the little jumbies Buki, Malik, and Hugo were safe. Join me again next time for the continuation of the jumbies. See you then.